With Pod Power, our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This episode, Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a Pod Power shout out to Bookwoman. Bookwoman is a podcast about editing, publishing, and writing Indigenous stories. Three Métis librarians representing nations from across the homeland aim to inspire Indigenous peoples to share their stories in whatever form they enjoy. Guests include Indigenous storytellers from diverse mediums like podcasting, burlesque, books, comics, social media, films, music, and everything in between. You can listen and find out more about bookwomanpodcast.ca. I am a respiratory therapist. I am a holistic health practitioner. I'm a physician here in Edmonton, Alberta. I work in pediatric immunology and infectious disease. I'm actually a shit disturber trapped inside of an artist's body. I'm Tanya McDonald. I work as professionally as an agriculture research tech. My name is Marco Manorino. I'm a family physician here in Edmonton. My name is Noah. I'm a registered nurse working out of the Northeast uh, Emergency Room. Most of the response for COVID has been clinical-based or economic-based. So, when you, you know what I mean by that is the clinical response is you know physical distancing, wear your mask, get your vaccine, and the economic response has been the economic response, right? COVID relief for businesses. Um, you, you know, support payments for people who lost their jobs. And yet, <clears throat> what the governments and the powers to be, what the leaders forgot to consider is the cultural response, the behavioral change, the impact on mental health. In addition with COVID, there's also kind of this, you might hear like the shadow pandemic or um, kind of all these different terms to describe um, essentially people being too afraid to seek medical care. Um, so they don't want to go to a hospital or don't want to go to a clinic, but they actually have like significant health issues going on. Um, and so we've noticed that, you know, people are, this was more sort of earlier in the pandemic that people were very afraid to go to their doctor. And as such, they just let health issues brew until they got to the point where they were very sick. Uh, vitamin D supplements can prevent or even help treat COVID-19. I would say true. Vitamin D cannot prevent COVID. Transmission. You just can't do it. The easiest answer, and I guess looking at it one, one way and the other, is true. False. I love vitamin D, but I'm going to say false because prevent is some strong words. I false. I wish it was that easy. Uh, false. We know that people with COVID 19 or have had severe illness with COVID 19 tend to have lower vitamin D levels, but that's likely just a reflection of their overall health status. Uh, but there's no direct evidence that taking vitamin D cures COVID or helps to prevent severe, severe disease other than just being part of a healthy sort of lifestyle. But the reason I, why I say true is because I think healthy people have a much lower rate of um, infection and much lower rate of death, but we are still carriers. And that's where it doesn't matter if you're taking vitamin D, it doesn't matter if you're running every single day. Yeah, you might not get it, but when you go home to your grandma, she might get it from you. The numbers around vitamin D is pulling and illustrating that there's a high, high percentage of people who are vitamin D deficient when it comes to having COVID. And again, vitamin D has always been that thing that's pushed across and it's for bone health. Keep strong bones, get your milk in, drink some milk, you'll be good. 
diving into some of the literature around things it's tying into now how vitamin d is beneficial for the gut and there's a term that's kind of being loosely tossed around because it's something that is so new around science is the microbiome and microbiome what does that kind of entail it's the bacteria in the gut there's more gut bacteria in our gut than there is cells in our body so now what happens how do we conceptualize that how do we make sense of that what does that even mean and in various types of studies it's tying into how vitamin d supplementation is now providing a greater amount of good bacteria in our guts and good bacteria is now able to break things down better to provide better immunity to enhance the availability and um, i guess utilization of t-cells and back to t-cells of course because again that's the forefront of the immune system there's been numerous studies the first studies that came out uh, there were a lot of people in the wellness um, industry that were very hopeful that vitamin d uh, could help generate a higher immune response for people exposed to COVID and lessen their risk. And the first studies that came out weren't great, but there's been subsequent studies that have come out that have suggested that there could be anywhere from a 10 to 20, 23% um, you know, uh, boost to your immune system as it relates to your body's ability to deal with COVID-19. The problem is, is all of the studies with vitamin D are just too limited. There's just too many variables. Um, so it's not going to prevent you from getting COVID. And if you think if you take vitamin D supplements to improve your, you know, your body's immune response to any, any virus or any illness, there's also a lot of other things you can be doing, you know, socializing with your friends, getting good sleep, expressing gratitude, you know, working on your gift, just being happy, moving your body, connecting with nature. All of those things in combination with vitamin D, I mean, eating, you know, whole foods, you know, not processed foods. I think all of those things can, can contribute. Being metabolically healthier regular exercise, healthy eating, a good mix of, it can help prevent you from getting COVID and getting sick. I'm gonna have to say false because the words are so strong. Uh, I'm leaning towards true. That's completely false. I would say yes to that too. True. So false, unfortunately. Um, that again, like vitamin D, doesn't hurt, never hurts to be active and um, uh, eat healthy and exercise. These are good things to do for your health overall. But in order to decrease transmission of the virus, the only evidence-based things that we have are distancing, hand hygiene, um, and uh, vaccination. <laughs> Those are th That's what we have for evidence. Uh, first of all, what can it hurt having a stronger immune system, which we all know is proven to be brought forth by being healthier and more active? Uh, I don't think it prevents COVID, but I think it will definitely help you in the fight if you do get it. It just goes back to uh, being being healthy, being active. You will not get it. You will be okay. Um, the whole reason why we're having all these lockdowns, why we're having all these quarantines is so that we don't overwhelm the hospitals where the hospitals are not able to give adequate care to the patients that are there, which 90% will be people that have other comorbidities. It's false, but it won't help prevent you from getting COVID because that the risk of that is just based on your risk of exposure. 
uh, but it will strongly prevent you from getting severe disease. So we know that the healthier you are, better lifestyle, better aerobic fitness, um, et cetera, et cetera, that is strongly protective against severe COVID disease. So long story short, won't prevent you from getting COVID, but it will help protect you from getting really sick with COVID. Um, you can be the fittest person in the world, and if you're exposed to the virus, you're going to get the virus. And here's the thing that pisses me off, honestly. We have these healthcare experts, they're doctors that are jumping on social media that are beating people up with respect to the body's immune system and its ability to fight COVID. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna mention any names, but there's a guy out there that you know, talked about hockey players, professional hockey players, some of the fittest athletes in the world. And, and even though they're fit, they still got COVID. So yeah, yeah, but how many of them died of COVID? How many of them had a severe reaction to COVID? Because of their high immune function, um, overall, general, general population masses, if you have a stronger immune system going in and you're exposed to a virus like COVID-19, overall, population masses, and the research is starting to show this, your body's ability to fight the virus is gonna be higher than someone that has a pre-existing condition. Wearing a mask, it's gonna increase the amount of carbon dioxide that I actually breathe. It's gonna make me sick. I'm gonna say false. Uh, those individuals that are very concerned about the carbon dioxide that is being produced are the very individuals that should be taking COVID very seriously and working on their overall health so that they don't get COVID. And doctors and nurses and surgeons wear masks for a prolonged period of time for years, and they're fine. That's false. Uh, false. How many decades have doctors and nurses worn masks in the operating room? That's false. When it comes down to whether or not masks are something that causes us to breathe back in CO2, you're just stepping into false world. That is very incorrect. Um, and that's false. Um, I, I will acknowledge that wearing a mask is uncomfortable. I have to wear one all day at work. But the reality is, is that masks help prevent big droplets containing the virus from, you know, basically kind of being expelled out of our mouths and into the air to make other people sick. Uh, but the droplets are relatively big compared to oxygen and carbon dioxide. So obviously oxygen is O2, so two molecule, molecules of oxygen. CO2 is carbon and two molecule, molecules of oxygen. Whereas the virus is, you know, tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of molecules and, you know, genetic material and stuff like that. No. So again, false. Um, uh, you know, pre-pandemic, I would wear masks all the time and if you wanted to check my sats at the end of the day I, I you know I was fine you know it you know wearing a mask um, when you work in a hospital is part and parcel you you know do that 24 24 7 if that was if that was the case we would be seeing a lot of healthcare workers and physicians even before the pandemic um, have issues with uh, respiratory um, issues coming in that that's not that's not true so COVID-19 is no worse than the flu that's false false False. <laughs> That's false. That's false, um, as it stands now. Uh, we know that just from the, the typical seasonal flu that COVID is probably 
four to ten times deadlier. Um, so the mortality rate is four to ten times deadlier. Yeah. Um, so again, false. But I, I'll give the um, the thing is that the flu is also bad. You know what I mean? They are both bad viruses. The influenza virus can kill human healthy humans, and it can cause long-term um, immune system effects. And um, it's a it's a bad virus, and we don't want to um, we don't want to people to get influenza. Same reason why we don't want people to get COVID. And the reason why COVID is worse is that um, it's more infectious, um, and it's something where we don't have a good medication for. We, you know, it's um, much it's much more transmissible. It's novel. People seem to be dying more from it, and um, we don't have a good, uh, really good treatment antiviral medication um, that's very widely available. So I work for the CDC contact tracing with AHS, and one of the one one symptom that we see a lot is people have loss of taste and loss of smell. This is new. You don't see that with the flu. You don't see that with the regular flu. Um, it's quite. It's quite scary. I think a lot of people, they lose it for a long period of time. And for some people, I can't speak to it 100%, but I've, but I've heard that in some cases, it takes a long time to come back. And, you know, taste and smell is a really, really you know, important thing for us. So, um, yeah, I, I, it's not. It's not at all the same. Um, that's why I stand on it. Last one. Uh, we can achieve herd immunity by letting the virus... We can achieve herd immunity by letting the virus spread through the population. I mean, <laughs> we could. Do we want to do it that way? Technically, yeah, it's true. If we let, if we don't have any lockdown measures and we would probably um, get, achieve herd immunity um, pretty fast, but we would also lose a lot of lives and um, probably cause a lot of morbid morbidity. And so that argument maybe had a little bit of weight at the beginning of the pandemic when we didn't have anything else to achieve herd immunity other than natural infection. But right now we have effective vaccines. And so we have a much, much safer way to achieve herd immunity. So um, that is the best way to achieve herd immunity and the safest way right now that we can achieve herd immunity. So I would never... Even if we were talking about chicken pox, I would never subscribe to that way of thinking. So the question about, you know, can we achieve herd immunity by letting the virus spread through the population is actually true. But um, at what cost? I want to say false to that um, because herd immunity is only is, is achieved if we allow the greater population to be infected while being vaccinated. Um, it also allows us to um, let a certain pop population percentage die from the virus. Are we willing to let that happen? And are we okay with, um, you know, a certain population, um, you know, wither away because we want to open things up? That's a really tough question. We can't answer that. I can't, I can't give you a definitive answer on that. That's for the, poli the, for the politicians to decide. But from a humanistic standpoint, of course not. We don't want that. We don't want, I don't want to put my grandparents at risk. I don't want to put my father at risk who has high blood pressure. You never know what, um, what, you know, what, what the smallest infection can do. But in terms of herd immunity, I don't, I think, I think it's another excuse to say, you know, screw it. Let's just, let's just open things up. Let's see what happens. Let's see how it goes. Easy answer is false. The idea of achieving herd immunity by letting the virus spread is very, very dangerous. First of all, 
you know, look what's happened to Sweden, look at the variants. Um, you're dealing with the virus again, as per my earlier question, you just don't know enough about it. Sure, you know, it might only affect three, five percent of the population, but again, we don't understand the long-term impact of it. So let me give you, let me give you uh, something that's very recent. Look at the cancer numbers. Cancer, reported cancer rates are down by 40%. So in this past week, everyone that has anything to do with cancer control is now warning later on this year and early in 2022, uh, our hospital systems could see an impact of stage three and stage four cancer that's, that's gonna put a bigger strain on the healthcare system than COVID did. So consider that one in two people in Canada get cancer. In other nations, it's up to 40%. You know, one in three people, you know, one in two men, one in three women in the U.S. will get cancer in their lifetime. So because we have an aging population and it's basically going to be two years where people ignored the fact that they may have had cancer and didn't go get a checkup, we're now going to pay for that later on this year and next year. So when you rewind this video and watch it, and you turn on the news, you will see the hospitals getting slammed. Where, where you know, children are gonna be, you know, with their mom and dad and their uncles, you know, dealing with stage four cancer, not stage three, because the disease has progressed in numbers where it's gonna be hard for the healthcare system to deal with. So this whole idea of, of herd immunity, uh, no, you got to get, biggest lesson in my, my life, and I'll close with this, when my mom died of cancer, my uncle gave me a card, and he said, you, you know, do what, it said on the card, you do what you fear most and you control your fear. Do what you fear most in life, but control your fear. And there was a lot of fear when COVID-19 hit and yet there was no control that was put in place. No one gave us humans tools to help control our mental health, um, to really you know, do the due diligence on controlling the clinical side of things. It was just too wishy-washy. Yeah, well, masks are important. Now they're important. You know, now they're not important. Oh, you should wear them even if you've been double vaccinated or maybe not, like there are in the U.S. They're, I mean, it, if, if there's something you fear, you got to get control over it. You got to deal with it until you, you know what it is you're dealing with. So, um, yeah. This episode of the Second Floor Podcast is brought to you by Shift by Alberta Innovates. Our province is a hotbed of innovation. Now, in Season 2, Shift's hosts Katie Dean and John Hagen put the spotlight on Albertan innovators working on improving the world, one ripple at a time. Here's a taste of Shift Podcast by Alberta Innovates. Make Shift by Alberta Innovates your next podcast binge. Join us as we take a deep dive with the people that are driving Alberta's 21st century economy. These global movers and shakers are working to solve today's challenges, create new opportunities, and build a healthy, sustainable, and prosperous future for Albertans today and for generations to come. Just when you think you know all about Alberta, 
We're here to shift your perspective. I don't know if I could stress this enough. We have a top three institution in arguably the most important technology in the entire world right now. We will prove a lot of people wrong by coming out of this even stronger. And the way we will do it is by finding ways to help businesses be cash flow positive and by willing to you know, find the ways that we can help. We're just starting to scratch the surface. And I mean, Calgary just this uh, last month announced the fact that they broke their record again for venture capital investment. And some of this is in fintech, some of this is in a whole bunch of different areas where we originally didn't even you know, have these types of core industries in Alberta. We have diversification in our DNA. We just have forgotten about it. Sincerely, we are blessed in Alberta to have all the infrastructure that we do have. Tune in to Shift by visiting shift.albertainnovates.ca or your favorite podcast app.